0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Hi, it's great to be here again this morning and to share with you. I told, uh, they mentioned to Tom during the week uh, I think it must be about 60, 61, maybe 62 years since I first preached in this church, in the little church next door. And it's a privilege, a real privilege, to be here this morning, and as we say locally, to see so many wheel can faces. Um, since I came back uh, to the Volk area, we had to move because I, I'm, I'm old these days and uh, needed a bungalow to live in and when we moved to Earth um, we've settled there and we're very happy there but um, one of the strange things about January January is one of those strange months isn't it where you start to think and plan and think what's going to lie ahead and and Even in the past, uh, you you feel everything's changing. (laughs) TV is flooding us with new programs that are going to start, and we get adverts all the time for coming holidays or... Carberry's cream eggs suddenly start appearing, you know, and uh, things are changing. We, just uh, recently we've been talking about just the things that we, we want to try and achieve this year in, in the house, and we want to do this, we want to do that, and so on. Uh, there's something about January that has this idea about a change, a beginning, an opening, and as I was praying and thinking about this, I felt the Lord directing me to a passage of scripture, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, And I just want to read you a couple of verses from it. Uh, Chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, reading from verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. And then I want you to look at verses 8 and 9. Paul has been explaining what's going to happen. And then he says, uh, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there will be many who oppose me. And he goes on, i uh, direct you particularly to, the, to verse 13 and 14. He goes on to explain how he's sending Timothy and so on. And then he warns them, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Let's pray. Father, which has given to you the ministry of your word. And Lord, I want you to make it relevant to the hearer and the preacher that we together just might hear what you're saying to us. For your glory, I ask it. Amen. The year is, uh, we think, round about A.D. 54. I don't know if it's January, but if you you read very carefully the uh, the scripture, it's almost certainly the beginning of the year because he said, I'm staying here till June anyway, uh, at Pentecost. So it might be January he's doing this. But what's happened? Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's at Ephesus. And he's mapping out what's going to lie ahead. He's just coming to the end of this lengthy letter to a church that he established about two years previously. And he has heard about things that have been happening in this church, and he's writing to the Corinthians, explaining what is the way forward. And then he says, but I'm going to come but the way I'm coming is I'm going to cross up and I'm going to start at the north in Macedonia. I'll work my way down through here and I'll come and hopefully spend some time with you. And the proof that Paul was really serious about this is if you read in Acts chapter 19, you read there that he already sends Timothy and... Oh, uh, well, he sends Timothy in Escus. Uh, Suddenly gone. He uh, sends Timothy anyway with him, uh, ahead of him. And he goes up to Macedonia and he makes his way down to uh, Corinth. But what is striking about the passage is Paul has these great plans, he, ha- he has these great theories, but all of a sudden we come to this interesting verse in verses 8 and 9. He said, But wait a minute. A change of plan. God's intervened. A, a door for effective witness has opened up. Yeah. A door of opportunity. And as I meditated, I began to think a lot about this. What is this door of opportunity? I know we'll discuss in a few moments what it meant for Paul possibly. But what could it mean for us? Why the Lord put this in my heart? That this year be a time of opportunity. Exactly what the door of opportunity is, we don't know. Right? It could have been a number of things. Paul has come there and he's found this group of believers. A new church has been established there in a real sense. It's a Pentecostal thriving church. It could be that. It could be the opportunity to ex- to speak in the in, in, in the school of Tyrannus. Uh, one of the ancient manuscripts points that, that Paul spoke there, probably in the morning, from the fifth hour to the tenth hour, from eleven o'clock to four o'clock in the afternoon. Could probably makes sense. Uh, another possibility is that suddenly great things are beginning to happen. You know, it's so much so that they were even saying to Paul, give us some of the, your aprons, the sweat rags that you use, yeah. so that if I touch them, if we touch them, things are going to happen. Yeah. There's that air of excitement about the place. Yeah. But more than that, there's another possibility. Is that not only that, but if you read in Acts chapter 19, the whole of Asia began to hear the gospel. You know, Paul writes to places like uh, Colossae and Laodicea. He never, ever visited these places. But what seems to have happened is from Ephesus, these churches were pioneered and opened up by people like Epaphras and others. But whatever it was, Paul sees it as a day of opportunity. It had to be grasped. I had to be laid hold of. I don't know what opportunities I had, but I want to emphasize this this morning. Forget everything else, but don't forget this. The God who opened doors of opportunity 2,000 years ago is the God who can still do it today. Right? And he, I believe, whether it's to the leadership of the church with me as an individual or you as an individual, or it might be, as I think, possibly the, the beginning, the year of 2023 opening up at Vorus as a door of opportunity. I don't know, but God's place in my heart, the door of opportunity. And the key factor is this. I want to stress to you, how do you recognize... It's all very well to talk about a door of opportunity. How do you recognize an opportunity? You know, in, in the year 1989, there was a, a film released that was... Oops. A, a, a film called The Dead poet Society. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Great film. Robin Williams starred is an inspirational English teacher at a very prestigious uh, conservative and very rich college, Welton College in Vermont. And the thing about his unusual methods and his aspirations for their students was he kept emphasizing a, a, a very well-known Latin phrase, possibly even by that time I'd start to become well-known. It was carpe diem, huh? yeah. seize the day. It literally means, it means literally to pluck the remains of the day, that's what it literally means. But it began, quite simply, seize the day. One of the things that strikes you about the Apostle Paul when you read through the Gospels, is this desire to always ready to grasp the opportunity. Whenever you read in the book of Acts, you have this perception, he's ready to grasp and sees things that seem to be black, things that seem to be hopeless, and sees it as an opportunity. Yeah. You turn to Acts 16, for instance. Paul is in Philippi, he's in prison, yeah. unjustly. He's in stocks. Yeah no opportunity there. Nonsense. He had a captive audience, isn't he? And he wants to praise God. Give God the glory. Give God the, the, oh, the honor. And suddenly there's a great storm and an earthquake and the doors are open. The shackles are all released. What an opportunity, let's go for it. Paul sees the opportunity, no, the opportunity for us is not there. The opportunity for us is to stay here. And as a consequence, a jailer and his family are wonderfully converted. Magistrates are impressed and challenged. They eventually take Paul and Silas to the, uh, escort them to the periphery of the city. You get the message, seize the day. Seize the opportunity. But how do you do it? I think three things for me as I read the scripture here. Firstly, a clarity. Clarity of vision, a clarity of thought. You suddenly can see a possibility opening up. You can see things that could happen and your eyes are open and you begin to get excited the second thing that happens is a confirmation a conviction that god you're in this business god you're in control now i want you to know this paul even though he was ready to seize every opportunity always was ready to submit to the sovereign will of god Hear that look at verse 7. It says, There, this is what I'll do. Notice that little phrase if the Lord permit, whatever the dreams, whatever the aspirations, there was a yieldedness. Say, Lord, I'm ready just to submit to whatever you want. Clarity of vision, conviction. The third element for me is, is very important as well. And it's a thing I freely confess lets me down time and time again. And I suspect lets you down the more you done. And that is courage. Hmm? It's all very well saying, Lord, oh, that's marvelous. Oh, what an opportunity. What a chance. What a possibility. Oh, it's great. Oh, it Until the Lord says, You're going to do it. And you begin to get the butterflies, the uncertainties there. Mm -hmm. Often think about it. You turn to Acts 9. Remember Paul's conversion. Imagine you're a, a, a saint called Ananias, and God comes to you Ananias, I want you to do something. I want you to go down to number 39 straight street. (laughs) Sorry, that's extra revelation there. (laughs) Uh, uh, And uh, uh, you know, where the green door is, you know. (laughs) Lord, this man has been after my blood. This man's been threatening to throw me in prison. This man is out to destroy me. And you've asked me to go and pray for him. Can you imagine poor Ananias walking down the street going (laughs) boom-fiddy-boom-fiddy-boom-fiddy-boom? When God opens doors of opportunity, he'll give you a clarity of vision. Right? you all have a growing confidence. God's opening up this door. And he'll give you the courage. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Courage to go on. Ready to face the challenge. But we often forget this: uh, ready to have a door off or chew- Oh, old age, teeth falling out. <laughs> 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 Sorry, <Yeah. laughs> they're real. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing is that um, what, what's What's happening? He says, "I give you a door of opportunity, but not the next phrase. There are many who oppose me." Yeah. If you step out for God and God opens doors for you, and you're ready to go, you will invariably encounter problems. Huh? And we turn to Acts 19. You know that when Paul is there, he's confronted. There are three specific groups that are mentioned there only. Firstly, there's the Jewish traditionalists. We know Paul had given up in 1909. The people became obstinate, and he has to leave the synagogue and go to the school of Tyrannus. So there was opposition from the Jews, from the traditionalists. I remember many years ago listening to Paul Beasley Murray. I don't know if you know him, but he's a famous uh, Baptist <coughs> leader and preacher and theologian. You know, and I remember him speaking, and he's speaking about the danger facing young pastors going into churches, you know, for church growth and so on. And he said, you know, he said, I'm reminded of the story of the man, the pastor who arrives to meet his new uh, leadership team. And amongst them is this old deacon. He says, well, I've been a deacon here for 20 years. And I've seen ministers come and go with all their ideas. I just want you to know I've opposed every one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And, and you know, there is a a real sense when you're old. (laughs) You can feel uncomfortable when things are changing. And what was happening here, things were being turned upside down. Sometimes it takes courage to kind of break down barriers. Yeah. The second group opposing him are not to the traditionalists, it's from the occult. Now, one of the things that strikes you is it tells you that Ephesus is famed for black magic. They loved the chocolates, really. <laughs> the, the, no, uh, they were famed. They were famed throughout the world because they were absurd, obsessed with the account. point I'm trying to make. It was it was a culture of that society, but Paul was ready to face it. Now, uh, what I've tried to do is relate it to a, a modern thing. Now, maybe we're not surrounded to the same extent by a cult, but the prevailing mood of society is very much anti-Christian. Yeah, right. they look at people like you and speak about us having ideas based on some sort of mumbo-jumbo ideas, don't they? And there are those who are uh, just opposed to anything uh, to do with Christianity. But there's another paradox here, and it says, strange to say, in the world today, there's a lot of talk in secular society about spirituality. And also, oh well, but the spirituality they're talking about is something quite alien to the concept that we understand it. It's based on some sort of ethereal, wishy-washy, vague emotion, uh, nice feeling. But that's not what Paul is in the New Testament speaks about when he's talking about spirituality. A third element. Paul, we know, was opposed by the silversmith. In Acts 19, you read there that um, Ephesus is famed for the worship of the goddess Artemis, huh? or for the Romans, Diana. And they, strange to say, they both value her for different reasons. <laughs> I can never understand that. <laughs> for the, for the, um, the Greeks she was the goddess of hunting and for the Romans she was the goddess of the moon but <laughs> the point is they, they made a fortune making little silver statues or uh, shapes or whatever but when God took over this door of opportunity was opening up. Here was opposition coming because they were losing trade. It's a bit like, uh, you know, in the early days of the Salvation Army, local landlords raising the roof and uh, getting annoyed because pubs were closing down. <laughs> you know, for me, when you step out with God, you encounter all kinds of opposition. Yes? There's the opposition from traditional thinking. There's the opposition, yes, from society and the culture that we live in. But you know the the greatest obstacle is this one, materialist. What What do I mean by that? It means this, that we put more emphasis on our feelings and our needs and our securities and that takes priority over everything else. So often, God can open up a door and you think, what's it gonna cost me? How's this gonna affect me now? These thoughts come to your mind. But the thing is, if you're gonna step out for God, you have to recognize that these temptations and situations might be around, but they are can they can be overcome. Praise God. Forgive me a, a a little bit of personal testimony here. Uh, way back about, I reckon it was about 54 years ago now, uh, my wife. She wasn't my wife then. We were just engaged. In fact, we'd only been engaged a couple of, about a couple of months. We both packed up suitcases, right? Got on a bus in Lauriston to go into Falkirk, to Graveson, to go to Graveson Station to get a train to Glasgow, to get a train from Glasgow to Manchester, uh, to to Preston, to get another train from Preston to uh, Manchester, Annette, she was fortunate. She knew where she was going to be staying that night because she had gotten a new teaching post in Oldham. But I didn't even know where I was going to be staying. And I knew I was going to work with them, uh, the same the mission in Manchester. But I, I knew I was going to have to find a job. And I was stepping. Up. And you, have you ever been in the journey from Preston to Manchester? It's depressing. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Red brick houses after the other, huh? and you begin to think, "Oh Lord, what have we done?" <laughs> But I want to tell you something. God gives grace. If you step out with God, it's amazing how eventually God opens up great doors and opportunities for you. God is a God who responds to people who are ready to step out and seize the opportunity if they know God's in the business. It's one thing then to discuss what opportunities might be and and how uh, recognize, possibly, the opportunity. But how do we respond? How do we react? And I want to direct your thoughts now. Just let's spend a little time talking about verses 13 and 14. One of the things that strikes you about Paul is that He's ready to minister from his own experience. And for, for instance, if you turn to chapter 20, you read how, on the final part of his last leg of his third missionary journey, he's asking the Ephesian elders to come down and so he could speak with them. And he's warning them. <laughs> and warning them. At the, and encouraging them, saying, oh, yeah, the God is with you. But then warning them, boy, you've got problems ahead as well. (laughs) And so much so he even says to them at one point, even from among you there will rise up problems. But Paul was always ready to pass on his his convictions. And here there are five things, and you'll be pleased to know that with this I close, right? Uh, five things. He says, firstly, be on your guard. What does that mean? Be conscious that we are dealing with an enemy who's out to destroy. Um, We had read this morning from Psalm 80 by Ian. I think it was Ian who read this morning, wasn't it? Uh, He read Psalm 80 about the dogs and so on. That sort of attitude. Uh, We we live in a world where the enemy is out to destroy the things of God and out to destroy our fellowship, even here. Right? Paul reminds the Ephesians in chapter 6. He says, Remember this. Our warfare is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. Be on your guard because we're dealing with a subtle foe. It's easy to recognize the work of the enemy when he comes in like a roaring lion. Yeah, yeah. But the most dangerous element came, and Paul explains in a letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. Look out, verse 14. This is the most dangerous you ever come He's speaking about false teachers and false prophets and false leaders and so on. And he says, beware, because even the devil himself can masquerade as an angel of light. The whole thing for us as a people of God, is A, recognize God can open doors of opportunity for us. Recognize the signs that he's opening up, but recognize that there will be conflict, there will be difficulties, there will be problems, and sometimes the the, the worst kind of problem that you encounter is that problem that rises from a source that you would least expect. (laughs) Wow. Huh? Acts twenty, I forget the verse now, where Paul says that if you from within your own midst, the anyway we can be at work. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm not implying anything here this morning. What I'm trying to convey to you here quite clearly is that as a people of God seek opportunities Be ready to go through a door of opportunity, but recognize the enemy is also to destroy. Right? So be conscious of the enemy. The second thing he says is, stand firm. Be confident. Be conform- the, 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 the word here has the implication of being firm, not just in the revelation or the, the dream or the whatever. It's confident in God, on his word, on his assurance, on the assurance of his word. Stand firm. Huh? I'm glad Lynn it's starting to sing on, on um, Wednesday. Is it this Wednesday it'll be sounding? Yes. Oh, good. I hope to be there. The, the, the thing is, the key thing is, we want to become people of the Word of God who, who stand on a rock of something firm, something assuring. You know, I was telling you, <coughs> it was about 60, 61 years ago, or maybe 62 years ago, uh, I came and preached in that little church next door. <laughs> You know what my sermon was? Derek, do you remember <laughs> No, I'll t- I tell you what the sermon was. It was Romans 8, 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? You know why I remember? Because it was the only sermon I ever had. <laughs> I've got, a, I've got about a dozen more now, you know. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the point is this, you, you've got that inner confidence, it's God I stand, <laughs> here I stand. <laughs> huh? Like Luther at the Diet of Worms, the, the <laughs> here I stand, I can do no other. You know when you've got that firm, that's uh, what it's talking about here. Right? Not just conscious about what the enemy is about, but confident in who God is. Right? And then the next one is self-evident, isn't it? Where he says, Now, uh, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be, uh, be courageous. Well, it's obvious, I won't go over that. But you know, it, it, sometimes you have to be ready boldly to take that stand. To take that stand. But then the next thing is be strong. It's almost like he's saying more or less the same thing, isn't it? But what I take from this is simply this. God is saying to us, "Once I've intervened, once I've opened up in the door, you know I'm speaking to you, you know the challenge that's ahead of you. Be strong. Don't become like those who waver in the wind. long hold you between two opinions, isn't it? You're, you're here and there and everywhere. You be strong. I've given you that conviction, stand by it. OK? Don't give up. Even though the enemy might want to undermine, if God's in it, stand firm, be strong. A perfect example of what I'm trying to talk about here is, if you turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua is a great book. as uh, uh, worth going through at a time. But um, in the first nine, chapter, uh, nine verses of the first chapter, you've got the call and commission of Joshua, right? And the promises that are made to him. But what often strikes me is by the time you can look at verses six and seven through to nine, three times, verse six, verse seven, and verse nine, each time God says, be strong. Yeah. Be strong. Be strong. The whole context is there, is even though things might appear difficult, and even though there's an opportunity to make a, 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 an alternative, and if God's given you that conviction, if God's giving you that revelation, stand by it. Yeah. Stand by it. Yeah. Huh? Because he's, stand by you. And lastly, I'll try. It's quite simply, uh, the final thing. Verse 14. Whatever you do, do in love. My advice to you, Paul says, be conscious of the enemy's tactics. Be confident in God. Be courageous. Be a, a, a strong, unwavering, in the conflict. But above all, be Christ-like. Be Christ-like. Be Christ- I, I, I wasn't here last week, I was here one day ago. You were know, speaking, uh, you were speaking and in it. Um, Sorry, forgive me, at my, my, my age I forget names. Um, and that's my wife... Um, <laughs> met, <you know>. uh, <laughs> I really am, I apologise. I can remember a number of things, but, oh, names. And, and the thing is, people often ask me for my address. Uh, I remember, then they'll say, your postcode. <laughs> You know, the, uh, sorry, I'm digressing. There. You know, the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me once. What, and, and I'm not talking about recent times. I'm talking about it's a number, a great many years ago. One shot over and a person doing these interviews on the roadway about cars and said, uh, "And uh, uh, do you drive? Yes. Uh, you have a car? I said, Yes. Um, what kind of car is it?" <laughs> Quite literally, I knew it was a four, but what kind a four was? I'm trying? Unru- <laughs> Beth, that's all oh, this. Sorry, that's a digression. Isn't it? The point is be Christ like. Be Christ like. Do everything in love. I wonder how many of you live for the 11th commandment. A tramp once came to the door of a cottage in Longley where uh, Samuel Rutherford was a preacher and met his wife. Uh, And uh, and his wife asked how many commandments, they interviewing the man, do you know how many commandments are? And he said, oh, it's easy, 10. And she said, no, there are 11. The poor man was very confused. And I suspect some of you are even confused this morning, aren't you? But there is a commandment that supersedes everything in my, as far as I'm concerned. you find it in John chapter 13, verse 34. It should be underlined in your Bible. It should be underlined in your heart, never mind the Bible. And it says, Jesus, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I love you. Boy, I was tempted to preach on this this morning. But it's very striking. You know the unique thing about that? You know the thing that makes it unique and important and vital? Because the the old commandment, the royal law of love was very great. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great thing, that. Huh? In other words, treat people the way you want to be treated. Well, that's tremendous. But Jesus even supersedes that when he says, this is my commandment, love not the way you love, not by your standard, love by my standard. Wow, love by my standard. And I suspect that this is what Paul has done. Whatever you do, do all in love. This supernatural God-birth type of love. A love that comes. You see, we're human, we we we're, we're human, we love the lovely. Huh? Oh, she's lovely. Oh, my fans are going out <laughs> yeah. Oh, he he seems a bit of all right and, you know. That's how we think, because that's how we're conditioned to think. But love, Christ's way, means you love people who you know are going to let you down in the next five minutes. You wash the feet of someone who you know is going to let you down. Wash the feet of people who are suddenly going to flee from your presence. Love the unlovely. Love your enemies. That seems almost a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? But love, love. You see, it's easy to be uh, dogmatic. It's easy to be strong. Uh, well, sometimes it is. <laughs> uh, 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 you can have all these things, but if it is not bathed in a loving, compassionate heart, it accounts for absolutely nothing. Huh? Right? Absolutely nothing. Love manifests itself even when the nails are going in love is coming back out i know some of us have gone through painfully I, i've been a pastor for a long 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 long, long, long time. And know the pains and the hurts and the difficulties and, uh, and, uh, and the time when you feel the, 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 the sword has been thrust and even by people you feel you could have trusted and all sorts of things. I, I've been there as well. But in the end, the love of God, the love of Christ, supersedes all that. Transcends it takes you beyond that. As my Paul says, yes, be conscious of the enemy, his tactics. Be confident in who you are in God. Be courageous. Be strong. Convinced. Be a person of conviction. But above all, be Christ-like. Let the beauty of Jesus be mirrored in your life. Because there's a, co- concept, a link between the concept of grace and love. Grace is the outward manifestation of the love of God that's in your heart. This is simply that. Can, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can minister in grace. God wants us to be a graceful people. I'm sorry, I'm going on too long. I'll stop now. But enough to say this: one of my great heroes is Samuel Rutherford, uh, and uh, you get to just to, to, to go to to a, uh, and by the grave. If you get a chance to go and see his old church where he preached all these years, but one of the things that strikes me, I, one of the lovely things, that many lovely things that. Samuel Rutherford said, it was this. Grace, ready? Grace groweth best. It's a bit of a tongue twist. (laughs) Grace groweth best in the winter. It's a winter flowering shrub. It's beautiful that, isn't it? The grace which is the external manifestation of the love of Christ in your life should flower and radiate even in the darkest hour. Whether it's in a dungeon in Philippi, let the love and grace of God take over. When opportunities come and you could flee and get away from all. Oh, stay and just say, let God be glorified. I commend to you this word. I pray that this year of 20 23 will be a year of opportunity for us as a fellowship, for Tom and the leadership here as a church, that God will open up doors of opportunity and that we will have the courage, the faith, the confidence in God to go forward but being Christ-like in everything we do. I commend to you a prayer. A prayer that I pray regularly. It's never far from my lips. And I keep on trusting God to help me or know the fullness of that. It. It's a very simple prayer. A prayer I offer to you It's at the core of my being and it's simply this. Lord, help me to go where you want me to go Lord help me to do what you want me to do and Lord above all help me to be what you want me to be that you might have the glory in my life I commend that to you may God bless you Amen